Hi, everyone, and welcome to Grace Point Online Church. My name is William, and I'm so glad that you could join us today. Well, today we are continuing on in our series through David's contact list. And if you remember, last week we took a look at Jonathan and talked about the blessings that come from a life of humility. Well, today, Dan Chang, who serves at our Minneapolis church, he's going to talk about Abigail. And so, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Samuel Samuel chapter 25, and we're going to begin with a reading of the passage. So, our story today is from 1 Samuel chapter 25. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go up to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword, and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and the five seas of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young man, Go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met with them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. So here's some background to this story. Back then, flocks of sheep were in danger from predators and thieves. So David protected Nabal's sheep, and Nabal's servants know this. David is a mighty general, yet he comes to Nabal humbly, not in a demanding way. David is asking for compensation for a service rendered. Though technically Nabal didn't owe David, given the cultural norms of hospitality, what Nabal does, refusing David's men and then hurling insults at them, it's a big offense. He really shouldn't have done this. When David hears about it, he snaps. He's furious. Verse 1 says that Samuel had just died. Now Samuel was the mighty prophet of Israel, the one who had anointed David. His death must have been devastating for David. 
David's also been on the run. He's been a fugitive, barely escaping Saul. So his nerves are frayed. In the chapter right before this, David had a chance to kill Saul, but chose to spare him. So David's probably feeling very vulnerable at this point. And now this Nabal guy has insulted him and his men. In verse 21, David says, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. Surely in vain. You know, David's feeling, it's been useless. It's all been in vain. All his good deeds to protect Nabal's sheep, staying up late at night, keeping watch against thieves. He's tired. So he breaks at Nabal's response. It's the last straw. Surely it was all in vain. I think a lot of people set out to obey God. You know, they think, I'm going to do this God's way. But the thing is, doing things God's way isn't often the easiest way. Doing things according to the world's way is often easier and might even get you results. Like in your relationships, if you want attention, there's a certain way you need to carry yourself. To carry yourself God's way with humility or modesty might not get you good results. Conducting your business in an ethical way might not get you good results either. Trying to obey Jesus might get you insulted or persecuted. So you're tempted to say, it's been useless. I'm going to quit. Now, David, he's a high-ranking officer in the royal army. For him to go asking Nabal for provisions is a very humble and modest way to approach Nabal. And David might have thought, gosh, approaching people humbly like this doesn't work. My refusal to intimidate people, it's been met with this kind of rebuff. And so we can understand how David is really offended. He's full of rage. I'm sure he's replaying what Nabal said. And inside of his emotions, he feels like, I must do this. This man must die. What I'm doing is right. Now, this is how he feels when he's locked into his emotions. So in his anger, he's about to become the common, typical warlord, killing a bunch of civilians just because they didn't give him provisions. I'm sure he feels so justified. Reading on in the story, When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my lord, whom you sent. Now then, my lord, as the lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord of God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. 
And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Let's remember, David is naturally a warrior. He's not this innocent shepherd boy. You know, he said, I killed bears and I killed lions. I mean, he knew how to fight. He knew weaponry. He kills Goliath and then, like, cuts off his head. That's what champions did. So David is actually very naturally a violent guy. Think about what he did to Uriah when David stole Uriah's wife. He had Uriah murdered. David's nature is, if you insult me, I kill you. And so for him to twice spare Saul's life, that's probably going against what he naturally wants to do. We see David in his natural state in this passage. David is charging ahead and his mind is set. Nabal is also set in his ways, so stubborn and arrogant. But David is also set in his ways. And here we have a classic picture of two men set in their ways, two male egos headed on a collision course. But suddenly something amazing happens and David turns around. Abigail talks to him. Now, Abigail is a towering figure in this story. People have called Abigail's speech a study in wisdom and rhetoric. She speaks to this angry man in such a way that she diffuses the situation. First, she reminds him of the Lord. Verse 26, Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. Abigail reminds David of the way he has conducted himself. David spared Saul's life. He could have killed Saul, but now he's a fugitive because he's trusting in the Lord. Abigail reminds him of his noble conduct, trusting God rather than taking vengeance. But she warns David that he's about to depart from that good path. In the midst of David's extreme emotions, Abigail reminds David of his better moments. In verse 28, she says, The Lord will certainly make you into a sure house, into a lasting dynasty, because you are fighting the battles of the Lord. And I think here is a gentle rebuke. She's suggesting that this is not the Lord's battle. She's saying, David, God's going to make out of you a lasting dynasty because you fight the Lord's battle. Right now, you're about to fight your own battle because of your injured pride and ego. She goes further and paints a picture of the future in verses 30 to 31. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. So she paints a picture of the glorious fulfillment of God's promise to him. She says, God's will in your life is going to triumph. And when that happens, you don't want certain things on your conscience. She paints this beautiful picture and says, you don't want this blemish on that beautiful picture. Then the true ugliness of the sin that David is about to commit becomes clear. David sees it against the backdrop of what God has promised him. He's ruining his future. What is God's future for you? What is God's vision for you? It's a vision that you would be a blessing to people. And there are times when you need to see, you don't want this, whatever you're about to do, as part of that picture. No, you don't want this to be a permanent stain on your testimony. Don't ruin your future because of some rash emotions like anger, bitterness, vengeance, feeling cynical or tired and wanting to give up. Don't do it because God has a bright future for you. But how David responds is what makes him a hero of faith. 
As soon as Abigail is finished, in verse 32, David cries out, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Halfway through the speech, he's already wrecked. So when she's done, he breaks out in praise because in her words, he sees the hand of God. What a picture of repentance. Here he was, so passionately, angrily rushing down the wrong path. And it would have been utterly tragic if David did what he swore to do. Yet, based on this woman's words, he comes to a full stop. He listens and he turns on a dime. It doesn't matter who the woman is, based on the message, the truth. His mood changes from, I'm going to kill Nabal, to, hey, never mind, guys, praise God. Hey, we got some fig cakes for everyone. It's all good, it's all good. Put away your swords. David's emotional maturity, his teachability, his correctability, these are what eventually make him Israel's idealized king. Now, I imagine it was a bit humiliating with his big talk beforehand. You know, there's a saying, if a real man draws a sword, at least he's got to cut some tofu. For guys with a male ego, you can't draw the sword and then just put it back. And yet that's what David did. He swallowed his pride and he repented. Now, how does that apply? I think we all say things that we regret later. We didn't mean it that way. You know, the degree was off, the intensity was off. The next morning you wake up, you say, oh, I didn't mean that. I don't actually hate that person. Actually, he's a good friend. The book of Proverbs describes people as the wise, the foolish, or the wicked. As we'll see a little later, Nabal is a picture of folly, but some people take that folly to another step. Because they said something, they're going to do it, even though they didn't really mean it. And there you move from folly to wickedness. Just because you're embarrassed to turn around, you keep going. Then you become imprisoned by your pride. You continue to go down that path that you shouldn't have. Now, David, he's somebody that can melt before God's word. Even when he's so set in his ways, he can be stopped in his tracks. He can be made to reconsider what he's doing. In other words, he's teachable. No matter what the situation, there's a reserved spot for God's voice to enter into David's heart. And it doesn't matter if it came from Abigail. He doesn't care who it is. Suddenly, he's just a child before God's word. And he turns completely around in repentance. The contrast to David in the story is Nabal. His name literally means fool. How is he described? In verse 17, he's described as a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. The NIV translation says, he's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. And I feel like that could be the one-line description of somebody's life. No one can talk to him. I imagine that if you were to visit some nursing home, you might meet some old grandma telling her life story. And then when the topic of her deceased husband comes up, she says with a pained chuckle, yeah, you know, old Norm, he wouldn't listen to anyone. No one. I think that's Nabal. His, his refusal to listen is characterized as worthlessness and wickedness. It's a picture of folly mixed with pride. It's a picture of someone who is unteachable. What's it like to be at the other end of someone like this? Notice the servants don't even go to Nabal. Why? Because they know they'll die because he's proud. So the servants go to Abigail. Abigail doesn't go to Nabal either. She just gets right to work preparing gifts and preparing her speech to David. So here, I want to ask you this question. How teachable are you? Do you have stories where you were going one way and then somebody who cared about you came and gave you some words of wisdom or correction? And just through those words, you stopped and said, you know what, you're right. I'm sorry. And you turned around. 
Are there times when you had a blind spot in your character and someone else pointed it out? I remember when I was a sophomore living with a bunch of friends and older guys at a house and there was one day I was getting into an argument with a friend and I kept coming back at him with some smart sounding reasons and, and finally exasperated he just said, you know, you always think you're right. Suddenly I stopped and in a few moments I replayed all sorts of conversations and conflicts I had with other people and I was convicted by that, that I always wanted to have the last word. I saw afresh that I was such a difficult person to get along with. Can you relate some story like that, where somebody confronts you and you realize, wait, you're not the first to say that about me. Maybe God's giving me a true picture of myself, the lens and, and eyes of other people around me. And you realize maybe I am that way. Maybe I am that relationally distant and aloof from others, always keeping people in arm's distance lest they get too close to me. Maybe I am that kind of perpetual liar, able to tell a white lie now without even blinking. Maybe I am sharp and bitter with my tongue. Maybe I find pleasure in gossiping without regard to the divisiveness that causes or the fact that I could be slandering someone and how relationally unfair and offensive that is. If you don't have such stories, maybe it's because people can't speak to you. We should be people with plenty of stories like that because, of course, we all have many blind spots and all of us can be quite foolish. Here's one application for you. Maybe it'll help you get closer to your friends, too. You can ask your friends, hey, is it easy or hard to talk to me? Not about sports or school or trivia, but about some uncomfortable feedback. Are people walking on eggshells around you, lest they make you come at them with claws? Do you have like a hostile force field around you and people get electrocuted if they get too close? Or is there this ease, this humility about you that just signals to other people I'm hungry for feedback. I need feedback. And people are allowed to enter into that danger zone to confront you. You can know this about yourself. As we saw, even when David is so set in his ways, he still has a spot reserved in his heart for God's word to enter. And for those of you that are Christian, if somebody approaches you when you're far from God and asks, will you be open to at least hear God's word and consider it seriously? Your answer, even if you do it grudgingly, must always be yes. You can't say no. We've committed to that baseline. Your heart may not be there yet, but there is always this value that we have, this reserved spot for God's word. Again, remember, this chapter opened with the fact that Samuel had died. So the question in the air is, who will speak the word of God now? Well, it's Abigail. And David learns that if he has high regard for godly wisdom, that there are many Samuel-like people God can send to guide his life and to give him God's counsel. Amen. And thank you so much for that message, Dan. So as we wrap up, let's go back to that question. Is it easy or hard to talk about you? Like, how do you respond to truth? That determines whether or not you're going to be like a Nabal or a David. Now, my prayer is that we can become like David, just totally responsive to truth, to God's word, to the Abigails that God will send into our lives, regardless of what we may be feeling at the moment. And if we can do that, then maybe God can drive out the folly that is within us. Then all the blessings that God has in mind for our lives, his vision for us to become a great source of blessing to others will be fulfilled. And so with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this message. Thank you for speaking to us today. 
Father, please remind us of the importance of listening to the Abigails in our life who are a source of wisdom and truth to us. Uh, Father, help us, Lord, to be open to what you might have to say and help us to be able to repent regardless of what we might be going through. And let that be an opportunity for you to shape our character so that we can be a blessing to the lives of other people that you have placed us in our lives. Thank you so much. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. See you next week as we continue our series.